0: A big debate among Protestants and Catholics is justification by faith or justification by works. Well, on today's podcast, as we're exploring Galatians chapter 2 and verses 16 through 21, we're going to find out what the Bible actually teaches. So turn to Galatians chapter 2 and let's get into it. Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? I pray you are blessed in the Lord. No matter what you're doing, no matter how your day is going, it's always great to take the time to get in God's Word, see what His Word has to say to us today and use it. That's the great thing about the Bible, you guys, is no matter where you're at in Scripture, you could be in the Old Testament, you could be in the New Testament, it doesn't matter. Whatever you're studying in God's Word right now, you're studying the book of Galatians with me. Maybe you're, you're, I was just talking to a friend who is exploring the, the gospel of Matthew. I got another friend who's exploring the book of Romans. Someone's reading through the Proverbs, one proverb a day each month. It doesn't matter what we are learning in Scripture. God, through the power of his spirit, you guys, we as Christians strongly believe this, that God, through the power of his spirit, is guiding us through his word, and he's giving us, through his eternal word, his infallible word, what we need, the wisdom we need today. So whether you're going through family issues, whether you have a loved one who is in the hospital, whether you have a prodigal son or daughter, or you have somebody that you love, a family member who's come out as gay or is in transition, or you're looking around the state of affairs today and, and you're just outraged over the corruption that you see in our government or in your government around the world, it doesn't matter what you and I are going through. When you and I study God's word, it not only changes our lives, not only emboldens us, convicts us, gives us the wisdom to be steadfast in what God has called us to do, but it will also give us clarity and peace of mind. So that's my prayer for you guys as we're diving into Galatians chapter 2. And also like in my opening is today we're going to be talking about justified by faith, not by works in verses 16 through 21. Now this is obviously a heavy duty passage. And a lot of my Catholic friends obviously believe in meritorious justification, where as a Protestant, I believe in forensic justification, and we're going to be looking at that in this passage today. So if you've always been curious, if you've always wondered, you know, how do you even argue through people saying you're justified by works, hopefully this podcast today is going to help you. Now, as always, you can check out StandStrongMinistries.org. You can click on podcast and you can see all of the different studies that we have available for you guys. If you missed anything, wherever you get your, your, your podcast, whatever platform you use, check it out, download on SoundCloud, become one of my followers. I really would appreciate that. And also check out my YouTube channel, Jason, my middle initial is P. Jimenez. J I M E N E Z and subscribe to the YouTube channel to get my weekly videos that I put out there. And also we have books available uh for you guys to grow in your faith, to know how to defend your faith and that's all available on at standstrongministries.org. All right, so today is podcast 167 and we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 2 verses 16 through 21. Now, if you remember, As just a follow-up, Paul confronted, he had to confront Peter over hypocrisy. And we're so thankful that he did. And I just was in a conversation uh, with a friend of mine, and he was just saying, hey, I appreciate that you call people out sometimes in name, but you do it respectfully, and I know it's not easy. And, And you're right, it isn't. It's not like I look forward to wake up today, like who can I, you know, confront today? But the, the thing here though is when you see someone who is a follower of Jesus Christ committing a sinful act, a willful sin, they're doing something in disobedience. We are obligated, my friends, as Christians, the Bible clearly says in Galatians chapter six, you who are more spiritual, not saying you who think you're better, but you who are more spiritual, meaning that you're not caught up in these things. You are to confront that 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 brother to love on them to care for them, but the Bible also says that you're not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. So there's that balance, right? But we have a responsibility. Not only that, when it comes to false doctrine, as we saw with Peter, who was living a hypocritical life, abandoning the uh, Gentiles for the, the the circumcised Jews. If that carried over into Barnabas and others. Think about the ramifications that would have had as Paul and the other apostles are trying to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you, he had to address it. And thankfully, as we know the story, Peter repents. All right, so now here in this particular portion of scripture now, we transition and Paul is going to be going into greater detail. Now, I believe in context, because remember, this is again, 8047, 8049. This is within Paul's first missionary journey. This is roughly around the time in Acts 15 when they're at the Jerusalem council and they had to confront circumcision. Of course, you had to deal that with Paul. I believe what he lays out towards the end of this chapter is probably how he was communicating to Peter, but it says to his face in front of people. And so in a way, it wasn't like it was a sermon he gave, but a discussion, maybe he had some notes but knowing Paul and his brilliant mind was capable of articulating why what you're doing is not biblical. And again, remember, they didn't have the New Testament. This is the first letter besides James that was, has been written within a span of less than 25-ish years since Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So they don't have the New Testament. They're having to take the Jewish scriptures. They're taking hymnals. They're taking creeds. They're taking teachings of Jesus. And then of course, as Mark and other gospels begin to come out, but they're not explanatory when it comes to theology. They're not unpacking what justification by faith and not by works looks like. So Paul is the guy, you guys. And this is what's so amazing is he's on the front line of these things and he's helping Peter understand. He's helping Barnabas understand. He's helping the church understand. So, this is going to be a great passage as we dive in. So, right off the bat, you see here in Galatians 2, verse 16, he says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of law, but through the faith in Jesus Christ. Now, let's jump back because here in this phrase, Yet we know. Well, what was he just talking about? Well, in verse 15, he says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Okay? Because notice this is. When I said this earlier, this is more or less probably, not entirely, but partially, or the gist, the summary of what Paul was conveying to Peter when he confronted him. Because in verse 14, he saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. And I said to Peter before them all, if you though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So that's when in verse fifteen says, "We ourselves are Jews by birth, and not Gentiles, uh, Gentile sinners." Yet verse sixteen we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. Now, let me just stop and respond to this because this is considered one of the most important verses in the Bible. So memorize it if you can. I encourage you guys, my listeners out there, memorize it because it is here that Paul, why this verse is one of the most important verses in the Bible. You got to think about this, you guys. We take this for granted, to be honest. Like we have all of the scripture. We could go around and say, Justification here, justification here, justification here. But this is one of the first times in the early church where they're understanding that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he goes, he goes on even further. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. Now he's taking that confession, that belief that, yes, you're seeing in John 3. Yeah, you're seeing in John 5, or the, you see that declaration that Thomas gives, or the famous confession that you see Peter give in Matthew 16. You are the son of God, and Jesus says, upon this profession of faith. Okay, But now you see Paul, the theologian, the philosopher, the apostle, he says, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus, notice, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because, he says, by works of the law, no one will be justified. Boom, drop the mic, right? Case closed. Now, of course, having discussed and coming from a Catholic background as a kid and having some family members who are Catholic, not that we debated and talked a lot about these issues, but now in, in my apologetic arena, I have a lot of conversations with people of different faiths and have some really good buddies who are Catholic theologians, Catholic apologists. And so I've heard their case. I don't agree with them. In part, I do. But I've heard their case. I've heard their interpretation to Galatians 2.16. But I think it's pretty definitive that this throws out the doctrine of meritorious justification. You see, It is here that Paul first challenges Peter on justification by faith. It's the first time. And Paul reminds Peter that the Jews, they weren't born with special privileges that made them more spiritual or more godly like they were pretending to be. And so this phrase justified by works, let's go deeper and understand what this means because the word justify, and this is where I get the forensic justification as a Protestant, versus meritorious because we're not saved or justified by works of the law or, yeah, of the law. Because the word justified, it's a forensic term. It's a forensic term that's used from from the legal courts. And catch this, when when you see the scripture, when the scripture teaches being justified, it literally means by taking this forensic term from the legal courts, they would declare someone righteous, not made. Not made, but declared. Because here's the thing, you guys, and this is so important in proper theology, is it is Christ who took on our sin, who atoned for our sin, the second Adam. And the, it's the imputation of Christ that we are saved. Now, he forgives us of our sins. And therefore, when we accept Christ, as it says, but through faith in Jesus Christ, we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. That's not making us righteous like Christ. That is declaring us because of what he's done, because we committed a sinful act. You see, only God, who is the ultimate divine standard, can declare someone righteous. And 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 they're declared righteous, not in and of themselves, not because they've done certain things better than other people, but because they put their faith and trust in Jesus, in what Christ came to do for us, who he was, who he still is for all eternity, what he taught, and then putting their faith in him being the way, the truth, and life. The expository's Bible commentary says, quote, in justification, the guilty are pardoned, they're acquitted and reinstated as God's children and as fellow heirs with Jesus Christ, end quote. So catch that. The word for justification, again, a forensic term, being declared righteous, we've been pardoned, we've been acquitted. So yes, we are guilty. We have wronged the law. We broke the law. And because God is just, God can't just overlook it. So he sends his son to atone for those wrongs. And we've been reinstated as such as God's children. Because remember, we were originally made right, made in his image. But now we've been reinstated as fellow heirs. So the great thing here is that Paul is emphasizing three times, you guys, here in this one verse, in verse 16, that that no one, and please hear me, No one could be declared or made righteous by observing the law. No one. Because we're going to see later in Galatians 3 that we can't keep it. The law was made to point out our transgressions. Not to say, hey, here's the law, now follow it, do your best, and you'll be made whole. No, because in Romans 4, 5, Paul writes, it is Jesus who quotes justifies the ungodly, end quote. So whether you are a Jew or a Gentile. So Peter was hearing these words from Paul and he's teaching them in a deeper way and understanding, hey, when you went to go see Cornelius, you know, you, you felt like you were going to be defiled. But were you better than Cornelius? No. God spoke to you and says, what you think is unclean, I've declared clean. So only Jesus justifies the ungodly. And Jesus came to save that which is lost. That's Jews and Gentiles. And so in the Old Testament, the patriarchs, Moses, and the prophets, remember, they weren't justified because they observed the law. It never teaches that. And Paul's going to make this case by looking at Abraham and Moses in chapter 3 and then in chapter 4 again. So we'll get to, we'll get down, you know, we'll get to those chapters you know, down the road. So, the saints, though, in the Old Testament, though, they were justified because they put their faith in the covenantal grace of God and they walked in obedience to his commandments. So, you guys, as a side note, we see faith and grace in the Old Testament and fulfilled in Christ in the new. And so, the terms like justified by faith was representative in the Old Testament. It just was not explained to the level that it is now theologically in, in, in the scriptures. And even still, through church history, we begin to unpack and define these terms even more. So when the Bible says that we've been justified by faith, Jesus' death on the cross, according to Philippians 2.8, what that means and what scripture is referring to is that he atoned for the sins of the world. That's how we've been justified. So Christ did something by giving up himself And we put our faith in him and are justified as a result because of the faith in what he has done, not because we put faith in something we believe will make us whole. That's not how Christianity works. Now, it's important to point out, however, that a person isn't declared righteous before God unless they put their faith, right? The Greek word here is pestis. Very common term in the New Testament for faith, which means to believe with complete trust and reliance in Christ Jesus. So faith is not the source of the salvation. Faith is the means to obtain salvation. Let me say that again. Faith is not the source of salvation. Faith is the means to obtain salvation. West's Word Studies from the Greek New Testament says it like this The act of God in justifying a believing sinner consists of taking away his guilt and its penalty, since Christ bore both on the cross and the imputation of a righteousness, even Christ Jesus himself, in whom the believer stands not only guiltless and uncondemned for time and eternity but also positively righteous in the sight of the eternal laws of God. So that is amazing, you guys. When you and I understand justification by faith, it's not by the law. Notice verse 17 now. But if in, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For I rebuild what I tore down. died for no purpose. So see how he unpacks this. And by the way, when we get to verse 20, um, I don't have, you know, favorite verses, but that certainly is one key verse that I have memorized and have applied and referred to and quoted in sermons, you know, and studied. It's a powerful, powerful verse, just like verse 16 about justification. So let's see how Paul, in his second challenge here, unpacks justification. If you notice in verse 17, when when he says, but if in our endeavor. So Paul's second challenge here is to address the claim from the Judaizers that salvation in Christ eliminated the law. And if that's the case, then they're free to sin however they want to. to, Right? Um, That's their belief. And Paul challenges that. He says, just because the law doesn't save us, that doesn't mean we abolish the law, that we're not abiding by a set of standards um, and just have free reign to sin. No, Paul argues against such nonsense because that would make Christ a promoter of sin, making his atonement insufficient for salvation. When you jump to verse uh, 24 of chapter 5, in Galatians 5 verse 24, Paul expounds on the true freedom that comes from Christ. He writes, and those who belong to Christ, Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So when someone says, oh, you, you, know, you don't follow the law, you're not very liturgical, and again, I'm not saying liturgy isn't, isn't bad. In many cases, I th- I, in studying church history and early church history, I love it. But that's not associated with the law per se. But here they're getting it confused that you're sinners then if you just think you're justified in Christ you can get away with it with whatever. And that's not the case because he says we have been crucified uh, in Christ and in, in our flesh and our passions and desires are, are not the way we ought, we ought to live. And that's when he says, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So Paul transitions now into personal form, I, as he now lays out his third challenge to Peter. And this phrase here, rebuild what I tore down, essentially Paul's asking Peter is, why would you reinstate the observance of the law in order to be justified if you know that it doesn't save you? Because Peter knew that at best, right? He may, not have had a, he may not have had an understanding of justification by faith like Paul did. But Peter certainly knew that observance of the law does not mean you're justified and saved. You know, Peter wasn't saved by observing the law. He knew that. He was saved through putting his faith in Christ Jesus. He knew the teachings of Jesus. He knew that Jesus didn't come um, to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Which, by the way, if you hear pastors who mention Jesus broke the law and then he just implemented grace, that itself is false. Because Jesus cannot undermine, eradicate, eliminate, destroy, or break his own law. Remember, the law is not the problem. The law is a mirror we're going to see in Galatians. It just reflects what you're doing wrong. Right, if there's, a, if there's a speeding, like just the other day, I'm going to the gym, it goes from 45 to 35, which of course I think is ridiculous. It's like the same stretch of road. And I don't know why we got to now all of a sudden drop 10 miles and I keep going 45. My wife's like, it's 35 now. Okay, so the law says you go to 45 here and then you go 35 here. And then of course, when there's a red light, you stop, Right. And that's what the law does. Now, it, who, who, what, if I'm going 45 and 35, is the law the problem or me? I mean, I like the law. Now, again, that's a, that's a simple analogy. When it comes to God's law, it is perfect. It, again, doesn't mean we're always going to like it. Doesn't mean we're always going to follow. And that's the point. Because if you say the law saves you, then you can't try to keep up with the law. You have to not only maintain the law, but you got to obey it perfectly. And that's impossible. And that's why when Jesus said he came to fulfill it, not to abolish it, he lived a perfect life. So it's not the law that brings life. The law only condemns. Therefore, Peter, he's the transgressor, not because he broke the law, but because he turned back to legalism after proclaiming salvation by grace through faith. I love what Romans 8, 1 through 4 says. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So when this phrase, die to the law, the phrase literally means to break off from a, from a relationship. So Paul is telling Peter and the rest of the Judaizers that to be justified by faith means they are no longer under the supervision of the law. And then of course, Paul goes into greater, de- to, uh, greater detail of this matter in verse 20 when he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So if Christ lives in me, and it's no longer I who live, then the law is not what I am following. Romans 7, 4 says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So in Paul's fourth challenge to Peter, What he does is he expresses the fundamental truths of justification and, catch this, identification in Christ. So it's not a matter of just putting faith in the finished work of Christ. It's through the substitutionary uh, sacrifice, the atonement of Christ that is, right? Where we gain our identification. You're declared righteous and your identification is your child of God. You've been redeemed. You've been made whole. Now, the compound verb when Paul says, I have been crucified, it is sos tuero. And it's in the perfect tense of a completed action that has, catch this, lifetime effects. Isn't that awesome? So the Bible teaches that we are buried with Jesus by baptism into death, Romans 6, 4. And we're raised to walk in the newness of life in Romans 6, 4. But this, but you know, I also want to point out this phrase when he says, but Christ who lives in me. I love this because one is when he says, I've been crucified with Christ. Again, that's the justification. And then he lives in me, the identification or, or literally, we refer to in theology union in Christ. Because the Westward Studies from the Greek New Testament says Paul uses it to show that his identification with Christ at the cross was a past fact. And that the spiritual benefits that have come to him through his identification are present realities within him. So let me pause and say this, you guys. When you say, as Paul says here in Galatians 2.20, that I have been crucified in Christ, that is in perfect tense. So what Christ has done for us and when the Bible says in Romans 6, 4 that we have been buried with him by baptism to death, your passions, desires, a sin. It's a completed action. And not only that, but it's a lifetime effects. And so when you are living, when Christ, or excuse me, when, I say, when Christ is living in you, you are a child of God I'm not just Jason Jimenez, who's a a husband, who has a wife, has children, is a pastor, is a writer, podcaster, whatever. No, I am a child of God, my identification. The present reality right now, even though I'm not in heaven, even though I'm not in the presence of the Lord, or you are not in the presence of the Lord, the present reality is we are draped and garments of white. We are seated in heavenly places that Christ has reserved for you and me. So Westward Studies continues to say, by this statement, he also shows how he died to the law, namely by dying with Christ, who died under, his, uh, under the penalty. The law, The law's demands were satisfied and therefore have no more hold on Paul. But thus being crucified with Christ meant also to Paul death to self. When Paul died with Christ, it was the Pharisee Saul who died. But he was and did, up to that time, passed away so far as he was concerned. Saul was buried and the old life with him. The dominating control of the Adamic nature had its power over him broken. So, you guys, we have to think about. When you do literally say, you know, um, you know, John the drug dealer, you know, Deborah the prostitute, uh, Jack the, I was going to say raper, you know, Jack the raper, but even someone like him, if he accepted Christ, that old self is gone from the endemic race or nature from Adam. Because now it's Christ who lives in you. Because we're told he gave himself for you and me. And I love, when I look at Galatians 2.20, I'm always reminded of Titus 2.14 that says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself the people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And so in closing, in this last verse here, verse 21, He says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So what Paul does is he abruptly ends his argument of justification by pointing out that if the law saves us from our sins, then Christ's death served no purpose. And I love what Warren Wearsby said. He said, a Christian is not someone who's trying to obey an outward law. A Christian is one who has the living Christ within. By faith, I am united to Christ forever. When He died, I died. When He arose, I arose with Him. He lives out His life through me as I walk by faith. This is the Christian life. It is not a set of rules and regulations. To go back to the law is to frustrate, make empty the grace of God. If the law is God's way of salvation, then Christ died in vain. My friends, When you and I say that, even when we doubt the perfection, the goodness and faithfulness of God's love, we're going to be in a heap of trouble because ultimately what we're doing is we're either looking to the world for answers or within ourselves and both will fail us. I do not nullify the grace of God, Paul says, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And yet we know that we could not save ourselves. And so Jesus stepped in there to save us. And so I just pray as we close in this podcast today, that you just take the time to be thankful for the salvation that you have. That you thank the Lord that it's no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives in you. So I appreciate you guys taking the time as we are finishing now Galatians 2 here. Next episode, we will be rolling out Galatians chapter 3 and where we will be taking an even closer look about the law. So if you guys want to shoot me an email, if you have a question or a prayer request, you can, you can send an email at info at standstrawministries.org. And if you've been listening for a while, and you like what we're doing, and you want more people to know God's word, that we can reach more people in our marketing We could use your support, to be honest. We want to be able to take this podcast. We're rolling out a new podcast called Challenging Conversations with Jason Jimenez. I've actually been recording several episodes. They're going to be video and audio that we're going to be doing with Edify that Christian Post uh, runs and operates. And so I'm really excited about that. But I'm telling you, my friends, we can use your prayers and we can use your financial support because if it wasn't for donors like you guys, people who Drop us a few dollars. I don't listen. We're, I'm not here to tell you guys how much to give. I trust the Lord. We walk by faith. If God has laid a certain number on your heart and you want to give that amount, you can go to standstrongministries.org, click on donate. It's safe and secure on our website. You can also subscribe and sign up for our e news. I'd love to be able to send you guys weekly updates about what God is doing through this ministry. And you out there, if you are already a stand strong supporter, I thank you for your support. And I want you to know podcasts like this, the new one coming out, my speaking, uh, leading people to Christ, helping people who are struggling with their sexuality, or training up parents or grandparents like you guys, or spending time with pastors like I'm going to be doing in Michigan and training them, or when I go to Texas. Or when I go to Georgia, helping the church to stand strong, you, my supporters out there, you make that possible. And I just want to say I love you and I'm grateful for your support. So guys, thank you for listening. Until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the word of God.